Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everyone, it's Jen, and I have decided this is going to be the summer of uniform dressing. I'm going to have a few pieces on heavy rotation, and I'm telling you right now, they're all going to be linen, and they're all going to be from Quince. I don't know why I'm going so hard on linen right now, but it just feels right. And Quince specializes in timeless pieces made of premium fabric. And the best part is that all the Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. I am personally very into the 100% European linen pants. They're cropped and easy. There's even a cute pinstriped version. And when I wear them, I look like I just stepped off a yacht. Do I have a yacht? No. Do I know what yachters wear? No, but that's the vibe. The linen pants come in sizes extra small to 3X and they're less than $40. Okay, like 10 cents less, they're $39.90. But the quality is excellent and they wash really well. How does Quince do it? They cut out the cost of the middleman and pass the savings on to us. Plus, Quince works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash fat mascara for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's quince.com, Q-U-I-N-C-E, quince.com slash fat mascara to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash fat mascara. This episode of Fat Mascara is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we all carry around different stressors, big and small. Therapy is a safe space to get those things off your chest. Plus, it can help you develop coping skills that make your life easier. I will give you an example. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you've probably heard me say it to Jess or to a guest, reframe. Well, I learned that technique from a therapist. Here's an example. Now that I'm a freelance writer and podcaster, I get lonely working from home and I feel like I'm never gonna get to collaborate on projects again. And that's the truth. Reframe, I get to choose which projects I work on. So I'm in control of what I work on. And if I want to collaborate more with others, I don't have to ask anyone's permission. I can just do it. See what I did there? That's reframing. If you've been thinking about starting therapy or are looking for someone to help you process things and give you coping skills, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash mascara today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash mascara. Again, betterhelp.com slash mascara. Hello, everyone. Hi, it's me, Jen. Jess is off this Friday, but welcome to Fat Mascara. It's interview day. Today, I'm joined by Gabriela Hernandez, 
who is probably best known as the founder of Besame Cosmetics, a line of historically inspired cosmetics that was founded in 2004. She it got it started out of the little shop in Glendale, California. But she actually began her career as a photographer, and she's become a well-known makeup historian with a huge collection of vintage cosmetics that she uses to inspire new products she creates, but she also loans out as resources to Hollywood film and television designers. Plus, on top of all that, she's an author. Her book, Classic Beauty, The History of Makeup, is now in its second edition. It's such an invaluable resource with tons of images of vintage cosmetics, many of which are from Gabriella's archives in her own collection. She's also a podcaster. I'll put a link to her Besame podcast on our blog. And she works regularly with companies like Disney and the Marilyn Monroe Estate to create limited edition collections and collaborations. So I'll put links to her company, some of the people and products we mentioned, all of that in the show notes. So check that out if you want more information. And I hope you enjoy the interview. Gabriella, I don't even know where to start, though, because you're a designer, a photographer, like a color chemist, consultant type person, a f- author, historian, <laughs> podcaster. I feel like you're a multi-hyphenate, but the one thing that ties your work together is, of course, a love of makeup. So I have to ask you, do you remember your very first experience with makeup? Yes, I do remember it, and I was probably around five or so. And I remember I used to really love my mom's eyeshadows. And at that time, it was, you know, in the 60s, and people were wearing Mm -hmm. kind of uh, shimmery shadows, you know, a lot of pearls. And I remember, I guess my mom had all these kind of like pearly, shiny shadows in in whites and off whites and all these colors and pearly looking lipsticks as well. And I remember that I wanted to dress up and perform for my family. So I put on like my tutu and my my ballerina Uh outfit. And I would put this shadow all over my eyes that was all this <laughs> shimmery white shadow and, and shimmery lipstick like all over my my mouth. And it kind of went all over the edges of it as well. And I thought I was the most glamorous like person in the world <laughs> with this kind of shimmery, shimmery uh, stuff all over my face. But, you know, that I remember that it just made me feel kind of like a princess. And I kind of, I, I really, I remember that memory still. Yeah, even though I was so young and it was just, you know, I guess it's like kind of that transformative power of makeup to make you feel like ethereal or, you know, like, you know, somehow a glamorous person when in in reality obviously I didn't feel very glamorous because I always had I I had curly hair since I was very young and my mom didn't know what to do with my hair that was really curly and kinky and so she cut it short so I had very short hair when I was young yeah so people didn't know I was a girl they thought I was a boy for a a lot of a long time wait so how did how did mom feel about you getting into her makeup was that allowed I don't think she necessarily liked it that much but I think uh, she let me do it because because I was trying to dress up and, and give them a performance and yeah. that and they thought that was funny and and I guess they enjoyed that so she let me do it. I didn't do it all the time this was a special occasion right. that she let me 
do it. I definitely couldn't get into my grandma's stuff, though. She didn't let me touch her makeup. But my mom. Now, does she have a good makeup collection? Uh, she had some nice things, but she very minimalist, you know, because she came from, mm-hmm. you know, a, a very old, old fashioned. You know, she was young in the in the twenties, and that and people didn't have that many things. So she had, you know, her lipstick that she liked. Sometimes that lipstick doubled as a blush as well. Because, you know, you just kind of put some on your cheek and put some on your lips and that was that. Mm -hmm. And she had a pencil, you know, that she used for uh, her brows and her eyes and maybe some mascara. But that was it, you know, and some powder. Maybe she had some powder, but but not any anything more than that. It was very, very simplistic, you know, but she always did her hair. She always had her hair done. So she put curlers on and she would curl her hair and have it. Nice. Wait, so grandma is putting curls into her hair. Yes. But yet your mom doesn't know what to do with, with you with curly hair. Yes, yes. Because because I What's have, going on there? Yeah, well, because my dad had curly hair and she my mom doesn't have curly hair. She has straight hair. And okay. so I was born with the curly hair, just like my dad's side of the family. So she didn't know what to do with it because it was just kind of unruly and you had to you had to style it somehow, and it just took a long time. So she just cut it short. She just cut it off. <laughs> I feel like the gra- the grass is always greener for people. Like you don't have curls, you want curls. You have curls, you don't know how to deal with them, and you cut it short. Right. Or I mean, they weren't. Whatever, you know, right? remember in the sixties, there weren't really like a, a products to to tame your yeah. There's your no hair. curl cream, and yeah, there's not a lot of that. And, and I grew up in Buenos Aires in a very small neighborhood, so there was even less. You know, so unless, you know, you had mm-hmm. shampoo and conditioner and stuff, you know, and that's it. I mean, you didn't have all this hair stuff that we have now, hundreds and hundreds of products for every type of hair imaginable. At that time, my mom didn't have a lot of options to do something with my hair. So, you know, the easiest thing was to just cut it short. Now, do you think this is where your love of collecting beauty comes from? If you grew up somewhere where that you didn't have a lot of beauty products, you know, grandma had a couple. Where do you think this love of collecting comes from? Especially vintage cosmetics, right? Yeah, I think I was just fascinated by the design of these things uh, and in the way they put them together because they they really were more akin to jewelry at a certain time mm. than than actual cosmetic product because a lot of these products, like like old cosmetic, um, you know, powder cases and things like this, compacts were really made like a jeweler w- would make them, where things were soldiered together and then polished, and this and they had to be made by hand. So a lot of these pieces had so much work in them that you don't really see that. I didn't see that in more commercial makeup later on in the seventies, eighties, and that. When, when everything kind of went into plastics and very inexpensive mm-hmm. manufacturing techniques or less expensive manufacturing in, in a mass market uh, stage. So when I started collecting things, I just the beauty of the way that they were made is what really attracted me to it in the first place because I didn't see that kind of manufacturing in anything else. Uh, so I was like, how did they make this? And people bought this as something they wore. And it's like, how come we don't have this kind of thing anymore? Why can't we make this anymore? <laughs> you know? It's funny, and we'll get into this, but it feels like we're sort of going back that way because of single-use plastic being so bad mm-hmm. for the environment. I mean, 
their original cosmetics, a lot of them were refillable, right? Yes, they were because they were using hard metals. They had to be. Yeah, they were using hard metals like, like, you know, brass, some kinds of nickel and copper and other metals, but things that were harder metals, things that you would keep, you know, things that lasted forever. These, these yeah. compacts didn't, didn't uh, you know, break. They were made to to yeah. last, yes. Like jewelry. Yes. And so do you remember the first piece that you collected, like that you bought or found with your own money for your collection? Yeah, it was a little lipstick, a little tiny lipstick. It was something from around the, the 1930s or so that was a tiny lipstick and it was bright red and had a rounded cap and I liked it so much that that's why our lipsticks now have a rounded cap. I modeled mine after that particular one that I bought after your first. very first. Yes. How old? How old were you when you bought that? I must have been maybe twenty-five years old. And where did you where did you find it? At an auction. You know, I bought most of my stuff in in different auctions or online at different sellers online that that sell through different auctions or you know just. All the, the used market and also in person, you know, antique sellers. Sometimes these very tiny little antique shops all over the country that happen to have a few items that are cosmetics in a corner somewhere. And you find some really yeah. interesting stuff in that. <laughs> so at that point in your life, you weren't what you would call a makeup historian. And you no. you didn't have your own cosmetics line, certainly. What were you doing? Are you just a, a side collector? Well, I started my career as a photographer because that's what my degree is in. So I went to Art Center and I graduated with a degree in photography and fine art. And I started working in the photography field. So I did a lot of work in photography and especially food. I did still life and food initially when I started. So mm -hmm. I, I still had an affinity for color and styling and all this kind of thing. But I applied it to, to food at the time because I also love to cook. And so I had kind of a passion for food and, and, uh, and that. So I kind of melded those two together. So the art side and the food side. And so I styled and photographed food. Uh, for Bon Appetit, for the LA Times, I used to cover restaurants for the LA Times very long time ago. So I did that for a few years and then kind of translated more into design. You know, this was very early on when Photoshop first came into the scene. You know, when Photoshop came into the scene, a lot of the photography market kind of changed overnight because people were able to retouch photos. So a lot of things that were photographed because they couldn't actually get them together any other way, but re-photograph things over and over, were composited all of a sudden with Photoshop. So it took a lot of work away from, you know, the day-to-day -day photography that was in the business at that time. So, yeah. uh, so I merged into more uh, design. And so I went into graphics and art direction. So I worked in that field for a few years in in different types of ways as far as uh, art direction and agencies and doing graphic design for all kinds of people and doing the different things. So I went into design more heavily into that. And I ended up doing, after a few years of doing design for all kinds of people, um, doing some cosmetic design for other clients. So this is how I kind of got introduced to the cosmetic side of things is through work that I did for other people. 
first. And then Besame came about because I kind of took what I remembered from when I was little and things that I had collected. And I said, well, maybe I'll just do something just for fun. And I started designing things that I would find attractive for myself. But I, at first, yeah. I didn't really have any any idea to actually make that a business because I had my design business. I really wasn't looking to open another business. So I wasn't planning to make anything. It was just kind of a side fun kind of project for myself. But it was, it was an exploration. Yeah, but at this point, before you founded the line, you you had been collecting vintage makeup pieces at that point for years, right? Yes, and I, I had. That was sort of a hobby, I guess, yes. it sounds like. Yeah, I did, but I wasn't intending to do anything with it, though. Of, of course, <laughs> but isn't this how the best things come about? So let's just go back to your collection for a second. You you found this tiny 1930s lipstick. What are some of the interesting pieces before you started Besame that you added to your collection, both from like packaging standpoint and graphics, which is something you're involved in, but also the products themselves? What are some of your, your favorites? Well, I had some really interesting powders that I had from probably, I would say, uh, turn of the century powders that turn of the 19th century yes yes and and they they, uh they came it was very interesting because you know you think now people are given things that they could mix together to make colors and you think this is a very sophisticated type of thing for a consumer to be able to kind of like mix their own colors of something well this this set of powders was basically three Core colors. It had a yellow, a magenta, and a cyan powder. And with those three powders, mm-hmm. you mixed your own color. You you mix your your, your face own color. flesh tone. Yes. Oh my! Have you tried and it? It works. What flesh tones are you going to get out of it? Work. It really? does work. It does. It's like the oddest. Well, thing. you're a graphic designer and artist. Of course, you can mix pink, yellow, and blue and get things. But, but, but how thing do you think is, women did? Didn't but this was for a consumer at that time period. So imagine, like, okay. thinking that women were that sophisticated at all at that skilled time. Skilled enough, yeah. Skilled to take those three colors and mix their own color to match their skin tone because obviously if you wanted more pink or you were pinker, you could put more pink and or less or more yellow or less or, you know, depending on what your skin... But it does make a flesh tone when you mix these three powders together. So it was kind of the oddest thing to find something that was meant to be mixed by the consumer. And it had this kind of canister that came with it that was an aluminum canister that had like holes on the top, kind of like a cheese container, cheese dispenser container that had holes on the top that you could kind of shake out. And you you would kind of like put the powders in this, cut, shake it, and then you can dispense it like that. Like shake. Onto a puff, yes. and, puff and, and put it on your exactly. face. Exactly. I mean, that's early DIY, and right? Yes. And that was like blew my mind. I was like, I can't believe this was sold to a consumer because you can think think about it. I mean, consumers at that point were not necessarily wearing makeup on a daily basis. They makeup wasn't no, that like but- prevalent <laughs> everywhere. To say that they had enough sense to like say, "Oh, I'm going to mix this and I feel confident about it." It's just like mind blowing to me. Yeah, I do think though because I've been watching the Gilded Age. Like there were all these like home economical crafts. The yes. women, because we couldn't go to work and whatever. So we're at home, like, painting watercolors and practicing the spinner and whatever yeah. else you do. So maybe there was some, like, sense that women 
Because at that point, cosmetics were mostly for women, I imagine, right? You would know better than I. Well, there were some men that actually did this, but they did it as a job. It wasn't like you couldn't right, okay. you couldn't say that they, this was your lifestyle, but you could do it right. in a theatrical sense to say I dress as a woman to perform, and this is my character. Right, right, right. And and there were a lot of them that did this. A lot of men that did this, and some of them were famous enough that they had their own cosmetic lines and they sold product under their name. And now, are you talking like Max Factor, like more into the? You know, no. 1930 or back. No. So who were some of these men that had their own lines? There was a, a man named Julian Etinge. You can look him up and he was a female impersonator. He basically performed as a woman and sang and performed in theater, dressed as a full woman, and then had his own line of cosmetic products that were sold under his name, because do you have any of those? I wish. This is some of my wish list <laughs> of something that I would wish I had. I, I, I have one yeah. of a vaudeville group that was three sisters that performed and they they had their own rouge. And I do have one of their liquid rouge pieces, but I don't have anything from Julian. I wish I, I did because it would be fascinating to have one of his uh, pieces. But he he was considered such a beautiful woman that women wanted to look like him. So he was yeah. able to sell. I mean, look at the drag community e- exactly. now. Like, exactly. Well, he was. the best makeup artist around. Exactly. Well, he was in the same league, but he was way mm-hmm. earlier than than this. It's so funny. The DIY, the, the Julian that you were just telling yes. us about, an influencer like a vaudeville girl having her own line. Yes. These are concepts that I thought were so modern. And here we are over 120 years ago in this day. Oh, no, no. These uh, these three girls were called the Aubrey sisters. And if you're interested in them, they're hilarious. Drunk History did an episode on, on the Aubrey sisters oh, yeah. uh, because, because yeah. the reason their act was so famous is because they were so bad like so bad at singing and performing that it was famous just to go see them to just laugh at how bad they were at it. But they became very famous for this act because of of the fact that it was bad. How'd they look though? How'd they look, Gabriel? No, they were pretty because they sold cosmetics, you know, so... so Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so they they sold this, uh, they had this uh, uh, liquid blush that was mm-hmm. under their, it had their picture on it, and they, they sold this this product for, for women. So, you know what? It worked for them. They had a business doing this stuff. So that's that's great. The early influencers, good for them. You have such a wealth of knowledge about makeup history. Like, I mean, I know because you've written a book on it that's been updated since you first wrote it. How did you research? How did you learn about all of this stuff? Well, you know, it's like, it, it's funny. I'm a curious person uh, by nature. And I think uh, as a designer and artist in general, I think this is kind of how you do your work. I mean, you can't, a, a designer interprets somebody else's idea or finds a way to mm-hmm. interpret it in a way that other people can understand it. But in order to do that, you have to really understand the idea yourself and have a lot of information about it. So part of doing that is doing a lot of research so that you know how to really encompass what you're trying to say and how to say it to somebody else is really having knowledge about it. So so I'm used to doing that just for my work. And when I started doing uh, this project for myself, 
I started doing research because that's the only way that I know of really starting a project is really kind of finding out all about it. So, so I just started to do research and I read tons and tons of books and found that pretty much all the books only had parts of the story. Like one book talks about one, one aspect of it. Another one is a very technical thing about a certain way of manufacturing. Another one is talking about the theater. Another one is talking about, so there's like all these books that only cover certain aspects of things, but there, there wasn't really a book that put everything in one place, like in one source. Mm -hmm. So because I know so many makeup people and makeup artists that work in the movie and in industry and the TV industry, they need fast information. They need something quick because they're trying to decide on how to do these looks on a set sometimes without a lot of time to prep. So mm -hmm. they needed faster access, faster information. So what I tried to do is take all the information that I gathered and research over the years and put it into one place where they could access it quickly. So that's how I came up with the book that I wrote is to do that. That's what I wanted to and do. And that, that came about after you launched Bessemer. Yes, Because yeah. you're saying the research was done to help yes, out Yes, yeah, it. that came a few years after, yes. And you're you're based in in the Los Angeles area, yes. so you know lots of people in film and television. Mm -hmm. So you saw this book as a resource for, say, somebody working on a period film yes. who had to see, like, oh, what were they doing in the 1930s with lip color yes. or whatever it is? Yes, exactly. And that, that's why, because sometimes they have time to research things and they come over to my shop and look at my things because I, I make myself available for them to to you know, as a source for anything, if they need help with any period, if I have it, you're welcome to it. So most of makeup people, when they are, have working, you lent out pieces to be used on set, like as props? Oh yes, all the time, all the time. Yeah. Our, Can you our, give an example? Oh boy, our stuff is everywhere. I mean, pretty much anything that Ryan Murphy has done has our stuff in it. So you'll find it in all yeah. all of the shows, any any shows. The American <laughs> Horror the Story, story that, I know. I've uh, heard you. Hollywood uh, has it. Um, pretty much all of the series, in any series, most of them that he did. Then the uh, the one that we just did is uh, being the Ricardos has uh, mm -hmm. pr products from our things. Uh, that Mrs. Maisel has uh, our that's last oh, season yeah. of Mrs. Maisel. And the characters will interact with things that are yes. from your private collection. Yes, or from my my. Is that exciting when you see it? In yes, the, when I, you see the finished project. Oh, sure, it is because it's it's uh, a lot of times is is actually they if they're working with the prop they're actually putting it on. It's our is our current line of products. So it's our uh, which looks is, vintage, which of looks course. vintage. So they use our lipstick and I use our blush and they and it's right there on the, and they're putting it on. The actor is putting it on. So it's very it's very cool to see it on the set. I, I get a kick out of, of seeing it every time they do it. Summer is fast approaching, which means it's shapewear season. Just kidding. It's really wedding season. But I just got an invitation to a wedding in Philadelphia, and guess what I'll be wearing? Honey love. I'm not sure about the rest of the outfit or the dress, but the shapewear is going to be honey love. Here's why. Honeylove has revolutionized compression technology so you no longer have to feel like you're suffocating when you're wearing shapewear. Plus, 
They have lingerie-inspired design details that you'll want to show off, and all their fabrics are breathable to keep you nice and cool, which is perfect for hot days. Let me tell you a story. I remember being at a wedding. This was a few years ago, pre-Honey Love, and I wore a jumpsuit, and I wasn't sure if the bathroom door locked well, but I had to take off the entire jumpsuit and then roll down the shapewear to pee, and I was like holding onto the back of the door at the same time, completely naked in the bathroom, and it took so long, and I caused this whole backup of the bathroom line, and after that, I was like, never again. Until Honey Love came along. Honey Love's superpower shorts have a 100% cotton gusset, so you don't have to wear underwear underneath. And there's a convenient opening in the underwear area, so you don't have to take off the whole thing to go to the bathroom. It's so easy. Honey Love products make you look good and feel good, whether it's for a wedding, event, an everyday boost of confidence. Honey Love is the perfect plus one. Treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com mascara. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off. That's honeylove.com slash mascara. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Honeylove.com slash mascara for 20% off. The summer vibes are just getting started, so shape your life with Honey Love. Hey everyone, it's Jen, and I have decided this is going to be the summer of uniform dressing. I'm going to have a few pieces on heavy rotation, and I'm telling you right now, they're all going to be linen, and they're all going to be from Quince. I don't know why I'm going so hard on linen right now, but it just feels right. And Quince specializes in timeless pieces made of premium fabric, and the best part is that all the Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. I am personally very into the 100% European linen pants. They're cropped and easy. There's even a cute pinstriped version. And when I wear them, I look like I just stepped off a yacht. Do I have a yacht? No. Do I know what yachters wear? No, but that's the vibe. The linen pants come in sizes extra small to 3X, and they're less than $40. Okay, like 10 cents less. They're $39.90. But the quality is excellent, and they wash really well. How does Quince do it? They cut out the cost of the middleman and pass the savings on to us. Plus, Quince works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash fat mascara for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's quince.com, Q-U-I-N-C-E, quince.com slash fat mascara to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash fat mascara. Okay, everyone, I am one of those people who, when it comes to wellness, sorry, but it's got to fit into the pockets of my day. Five minutes here, seven minutes there, when I'm like in the kitchen and I'm microwaving something long, it's got to be convenient. And that is why Aloe Moves works for me. My mindset has changed. The app makes it easy for me to keep my wellness routine on track because they have everything in one place and bite-sized little bits. Yoga, Pilates, fitness classes, mindfulness, self-care tips, healthy recipes, so much more. From beginner to advanced, Aloe Moves has the flow or class that's going to fit into your schedule. Their classes range from five minutes to an hour, depending on what you're feeling that day. You know what feeling I'm feeling most days? I'm feeling 10 minutes. I've been doing that's Joanna good. Thompson's. Right? That's about it. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's good. 10 minutes. Joanna Thompson does these yoga lattes in 10. One day will be abs. One day will be arms. Today, Jess, is booty day. And we're just <laughs> going to get it done all in 10 minutes. If you're trying to get a good sweat, then you've got to try their award-winning workouts like the sweat-inducing yoga flows or the reformer Pilates workouts without weights. You can also find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, learn to do dry brushing. How many times have we talked about dry brushing on this podcast? Aloe Moves will teach you how to do it. Unlock your personal wellness routine with Aloe Moves. Go to alomoves.com now and use the code MASCARA20 for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's alomoves.com, code MASCARA20. alomoves.com, code MASCARA20. Well, I have to ask you, if we're going to talk about Besame, I have to ask because obviously this is called Fat Mascara. And I feel like a lot of people who know the history of makeup talk a lot about lipstick, but not so much about mascara. And I know one of your like cult favorite products is the cake mascara, right? Yes. Can you just tell me what the history of that is? Like, was that what the first mascara looked like, a cake? Uh, No. Well, it looked kind of similar to that, but not really. The cake mascara really started, if you remember or you've seen any of these shows that talk about uh, England in the, you know, 1800s and things like this, the 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 first salons or the first, you know, places where you had product were the barber shops for, for men. So women didn't really have salons for a long time. So the only ones that could get their hair cut and, and and styled and their beards and all this stuff were men because they had mm-hmm. barber shops way before we had salons. So within the, the barber shop, you know, men had mustaches, you know, like large mustaches in this. And, you know, if they had gray hair or their hair was graying and they didn't want to look older, they would take this mascara cake, this kind of cake of black cake that was made out of wax and, and kind of coal, dark coal, mm-hmm. basically black, coal black. They would take this thing and it was made out of soap at that time, like a soap base and then black. They would take that and then they would put it on their mustache and sideburns so it would make it darker and also it would make it lay down straight so it would stay in place. So they could use it on their eyebrows, the uh, mustache, and their sideburns. Right. So this is how the product kind of originated. It came, this is the first kind of use of it was in the man's barber barber shop or, uh, you know, salon for, for men because they would use it for that. Now, at the turn of the century, Maybelline is the uh, first one that kind of made it kind of available for women, but, and also Max Factor did for theater before that, because it was available in the theater after this, you know, at the same time that you had it available for men, it was available as a cake for theatrical use. And it it basically looked like a brick. It kind of looked like a, like a, if yeah. you picture a one inch by two inch brick, kind of a black, mm-hmm. that's kind of what mascara was at that time. That and, and people could put water on it and, and paint it on, or they could kind of brush it on with something else. But that's basically what it was. And it was used in theater. It was used in the barbershop and the theater first, before it was used for women at all. So after that, uh, Max Factor started using it theatrical sense, and it was used in silent film. And then it was used 
in that way in women in silent film to paint in, you know, brows and paint in things and also paint in lashes at that time. But it still was not a commercial product until Maybelline took that same cake and said, hey, I'm going to sell this as mascara for women to use. And then he made it smaller, put it in a nice red little case or gold little case and made a little smaller cake on it, made an applicator on it, and then sold that as a lash beautifier. That kind of was the, the a term. lash beautifier. Beautifier, yes. Because at that point, they weren't really trying to say, oh, it's going to make your lashes huge and, and, and this, because it didn't really do that. It just kind of defined them, made them darker, but it wasn't like mascaras now yeah. that would give you like all this volume and curl and all this. It, it didn't do that. But it would make them prettier. Yeah. When did we start calling it mascara? Well, it was originally called mascaro with an O at the end. Oh, for the men. For the men. It was called mascaro. Yeah. So it had that name. And then I guess when it was sold to women, it became mascara. (laughs) I mean, that's easier to say than lash beautifier. Exactly. So it was kind kind of evolved, I think, from the original name that it was called mascaro. And so the one that you created for Besame sort of resembles that Maybelline one that yes. with the small paintbrush. Yes. And what what was your thing? Like we have come so far, we do these volumizing formulas, tools, spoolies, whatever. What inspired you to recreate that, you know, that ritual? Well, I think it, it was a combination of things. The fact that that product was very multi-use was attractive to me because they didn't just use it for mascara. Remember, this thing was used everywhere. You can put it anywhere, really. You can put it on your brows. You can put it on your hairline. You can put it on your sideburns. You can put it on wherever. You know, you can paint your eyeliner with it. So it, it was a very multi-purpose type product. So it's more like more of like a watercolor for your face, basically. That's kind of what it was. But that that part attracted me because it's like if I. I thought, hey, maybe people, instead of using three different products, would rather have one product maybe that does all of this stuff and then you only carry one. So I thought maybe somebody will like it. But truthfully, when I released it, I really didn't think anybody would like this product or buy this product. I I thought, you know, I'm the only one. There was a pet project of yours? Yeah, it's like I I think I'm the only one that's kind of keen on this formula, but I don't think most people would want to bother with this nowadays because, you know, the other, the other ones are much easier to put on and all this, you know, so I thought nobody will want this, but lo and behold, all these people were like very intrigued by this product and, and really took to the fact that it does all this stuff and it, it lasts so long, you know, because it doesn't go bad. That's the thing about this product that it doesn't go bad because it doesn't have any water like mascaras and all these products have, drying agents in them that dry over time. So the mascara gets clumpy and hard. And they also have water. A lot of times that gets bacteria in it. So it starts to get, you know, nasty in about three months or so of use. So mascara has a very short shelf life as as it is. This product, because it doesn't have either one of those things, does not. So it lasts, you know, until you don't have any more of it, basically. It's so funny. Here's another thing that we created our own problem and now we're going back to history. There's all these waterless products now. You need fewer preservatives. They last longer, better for the environment. 
That's how we were doing it back in the day. I know. Isn't that funny? It's like we we let it's crazy. go. It's it's the same with everything. You know, if you look back at history, like every conquering culture let go of all of this stuff that was figured out beforehand. And then we lose a ton of information that that could have catapulted the this new new group of people far into the future. But no, they burn everything down and start over again. And it's kind of what we've done, I think, with some of this cosmetics that we we've uh, gone from uh, going into something that kind of worked and had its use to making it more and more and more and more and more complicated where we lost sight of the initial issue here. We, we lost sight what, what yeah. this was for because it's kind of like medicines, really. It's happened with medication as well. You started with the product that relieved pain or did something, but then it had these other side effects. So then you have something else to take away this side effect and then something else for this side effect and so on. So you're kind of like putting all these complexity into something that was very simple at the beginning. And I, I think now we're kind of getting a clue that maybe we should look back at how it was done before. Maybe we had something figured out. And and that's the whole purpose of the brand is really to look back and say, hey, what did we kind of leave in the sidelines here that maybe was a good idea and maybe could be brought back somehow in a better way than they did it before, but still keeping that same idea. Yeah. Like I know you try to, you don't test on animals. Whereas back in the day, not only is it, might it be tested, like it came from animal sources with the gelatins and, you know, fats and things like oh, that. Oh, you had to. Can I you ask you, to. you <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was no other, yeah. we didn't have some of the, so there's good things that came out of mon- modern chemistry, oh, of obviously. Of but yes. Yeah. Like you said, the conqueror shouldn't erase everything before. Now let's combine the best of the modern with the ideas from the past, which is kind of what you do. Can I ask you about the lipsticks in your line? So if I did more research, I probably would know this, but every color has a year associated with it. So you have like victory red and it says 1941 and then chocolate kiss says 1970. What are those years? Well, the lipstick years are actually tubes that I own. So I have in my collection tubes from all these different years. And what I do is I gather a bunch of different brands from different years, Mm -hmm. and then I have originals of all these. And then I look for patterns of color that seem to be the same shade, but through all these different brands. You know, so you look at 1930s brands and you look at all their offerings and you say, okay, well, these colors seem to be duplicated in several brands. So they must have been very successful for some reason. So people must have liked them. They were the trend that year. They were the trend or they look good on a lot of people, which is a lot of the case is that they colors that really sold well is ones that look good on most people. You know, they were kind of universal universally flattering, let's say. So that's the colors that I pick out and then I reproduce those. That's kind of what I do. <laughs> so the color in 1941 was this like well, that, true... Yes, that color was a very indicative of that period because it was made to go with the uniform. You know, when women were in the service, they had this kind of khaki, you know, olivey uniform. And the government asked Elizabeth Arden to make a lipstick that went with the, the red that was in the stripes of the uniform and the hat tassel. 
And yeah. she came up with this color. She initially called it Montezuma red, and then it became victory red later on. But it was this color. Like, yeah, a bright red. Montezuma, like the, yes. the leader? Yes. The, well, it, that's, it was okay. called Montezuma red, yes. That's crazy. I don't know why she called it that, but that's what For it was For this called. patriotic red, I, all right. I guess okay. so. And then, and then later it became big. Victory red, yes, and it was advertised with the picture of a woman in the uniform, uh, uniform wearing yeah. it. And this was the red that I, after like two years of searching for this, because it was really, really difficult to find one of these tubes. Because as you know, there were shortages during the war. People used that tube until there was nothing left in it. So to find a tube with product was like really, really difficult. <laughs> Of the Arden, let's say, yes. the original yes, one? Yes, the original one. You, so you found oh, it. Oh, yes. You oh, found yes. It. I won't make it. Where did you find it? Oh, in a, in a very obscure option uh, that somebody had one tube in there and they didn't. And they'll show you a picture and there's like a little remnant of the Yes, of the exactly. Yes. And then I go to the lab. No, and doesn't I, it oxidize and stuff? How do you know that's what the color actually looks some like? Some do and some don't. It depends yeah. on which... So pig- you could see these trends. It depends on the pigments they use. There are some pigments that they use in the late 50s and 60s that completely, like, they obliterate. They don't work. So those pigments, those colors will not. But certain colors that are earlier, they, they still hold it, it, because the pigments they use don't change over time. So so those are pretty accurate. So I usually make a color only if I find the originals. I don't kind of make it up or anything like that. Right. So what's the most modern color? I know 1970 was this chocolate kiss. Do you have anything more recent than that? Right now, I only have up to the 70s. I I do have some colors that are more 80s, and I can make colors that are more recent now that 90s is considered vintage all of a sudden, you know, by by younger people. So I, I might do some colors that are you know, up in, in, in the in more recent years. But 70s is where I had pretty much stopped as far as like the color range that I had done so far. But I'm open to doing any years because they're all fascinating. I love collecting colors. Yeah, I was thinking, at what point does a color or makeup trend become historical? Because think about it, 1980 is 42 years ago, right? So when you started this whole project, you were doing stuff in the 50s and 60s, and it was, you know, that long ago. And we're having this revival of like Y2K, right? I'm sure you've noticed the late 90s, early aughts, like fashion and beauty is making a resurgence. Would Would you ever do that? Or does that feel not like your interest area? I, I would. It's, it, it's just finding the colors that are still becoming after those years because because we did a lot of crazy <laughs> crazy stuff in the eighties that that could still probably stay in the eighties, you know. And I don't yeah. I don't think oh, it would translate. You, you know, Tangi. Yes, I think it was yes, called. Tangi. Yes, yes. It's the color changing. They had the bromide <sighs> inside of the lipstick, so the bromide actually changes by the pH of the lip. So it becomes lighter or okay, darker. Okay, well, then my pH must be crazy because I think my mom had it or something, and maybe an old one I found in her bathroom. So unflattering. Oh, it turned like a horrible bright pink, and I'm olive. It was just a mess. Yes, it, it usually— Don't do tangy. Yeah, it usually—that's <laughs> the only color that, that it would come in. 
that it would, because of the raw but material. But you, you have a color changing lipstick, right? I do. Uh, but I did it, I did it for the Disney collections because it kind of went with the storyline because of the fact that, mm. you know, it was Sleeping Beauty and Sleeping Beauty, you know how it has a dress that goes, it says, make it blue, make it pink, make it blue, make it pink. So this lipstick mm-hmm. is blue, but it turns pink. So it's kind of like... And do you use... What was the ingredient you said that makes that happen? Uh, it's called bromide. What is that? It, it's a it's a yeah. compound that changes with the pH. So it, it, it changes color as it hits the pH. So the more acidic it is, it, it turns one color or the more, you know, a base it is, it turns, uh, it turns less so. So it depends on, on... So could I squirt it with some lemon juice if I don't like the color I ended up with? <laughs> well, I guess you could, yes. I mean, that would, yeah, that's very... That's very... That's very Why well, am I still trying to get yeah, 10G you're very, to work very on very me? scientific of you, but it, it, would, it would only... Um, yeah, it only goes to a certain level of pink, though. It doesn't actually... Okay, okay. Because there's no base. It doesn't... Usually these are put into a, a clear base type of product, so the base doesn't have any color... It's just the, the 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 turning. The only way that you can vary the shade is if the base itself has a bit of tone to it. Like when we did the Mickey yeah. Mouse one, for example, or the black one that we did for Halloween that kind of looked black and it turns kind of a purplish color. It's because yeah. the base has black in it already. So then the color changing is just adding a bit of pink, but the base is still black. So it kind of turns a little bit more of a maroon type color because it's mixing with within both things be, between a base color right, and right. and the uh, color changing part. But if it's just color changing, it's just gonna end up pink, unfortunately. <laughs> I wonder, I feel like you've been doing this for so many years. Do you still get surprised by things you learn about makeup history? Like in the last year, have you learned anything new about makeup history? Yes, actually, I had a, this um, this interview that I did with this uh, lady who is an Egyptologist. And we were talking mm-hmm. about ancient Egypt and makeup techniques in Egypt and in my book, I mentioned something that Egyptians used this kind of cone of, of wax that had fragrance in it, and they wore it on their heads. And basically it melted and it had this kind of fragrant kind of oils that would drip down the hair and provide this fragrance. And they wore this product. And in my book, I reference it and I have kind of an illustration of it, but there was but there, there were no actual samples of this. So it was just kind of people knew that they did this from writings, but we didn't have any way to know for sure what this looked like. Well, she showed yeah. me a report that they had actually found some of these. So, and she sent me a report of the analysis of what was in them. So that was that was fascinating because I knew something about it, but I didn't know all of the information that she just provided for me by the the, the findings that they had on, on this. Now, so was your book, how accurate did you do? How did you do a good job? Did it match up with what they actually found? Yes, it does for what I knew at the time. But now I have way right. more information of exactly what was in this and, and kind of more of the shape of what it was than I knew before. So now, you know, that I, for the version of the other book, I can add some more information (laughs) on exactly what was in these cones and all this stuff. So, so you always learn stuff. I mean, you, you really do. You always learn because they, they find 
more things. They find more information on pigments that they used to use on maybe yeah. uh, colors that were that maybe now they know more about what colors they actually were mixing together and how. So I, I'm constantly learning. I mean, this is I'm like I said, I'm constantly curious and I'm constantly learning things, and I love to do that. That's that's kind of part of the job that I really really love. Uh, as, as what I do. My gosh, I could see uh, now one of your lipsticks. We can go back to BC era. We could do Egyptology. You could do the Roman era once they oh maybe goodness. they get some new techniques to discover colors at Pompeii. Maybe they find some pot of something. Awesome. You could make it. Awesome. You would do it. Yes, okay. I would totally do it. Are you <laughs> kidding? I would totally do a scarab with stuff in it. Totally. Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> So I have to ask, because you have this huge collection, before I let you go, and we have a little speed round to do, what are some of your favorites? Besides your Besame products, are you very into skincare, perfume, or other things, or is it all about color cosmetics for you? I like certain perfumes, but I'm very old-fashioned about perfume. I, I kind of like orange blossom, and I like orange blossom oh, yeah. water, like old Italian orange orange blossom water. I'm, I'm very kind of easy that way. I don't wear other types of fragrance. I kind of like that kind of fresh type type uh, scent of, of yeah. that. I like, you know, all types of herbs and like things that have like oils that have different herbs in it, like arnicas and, you know, other types of frankincense. So are you, your skincare routine, do you do, you make your own stuff or do you buy like, are we going to see you buying some retinol or something over the counter? No, you know, I, I, I'm not a fan of any of that kind of stuff. I, 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 I've tried it. My skin is not too keen on it. You know, I can't, I, no matter yeah. how I try to use it, I can't tolerate it. I, I just uh, do, doesn't like it. So I stick with yeah. my just oils and stuff and, and that's it. I, I don't, I don't do any of this kind of more fancy thing. I know that. It go, no, that's okay. It goes along with your brand. Yeah. I, I mean, I know like a lot of people like all this and they have all this routine with all these you know, vitamin things and this and that. And, and, yep. I, and I, I appreciate that. I mean, if it works for you, that's great. Personally, I just doesn't, you know, I don't have an, att an attraction to it and I don't do it myself, but, you know. Yeah, we rediscover like argon oil. They were using that for centuries and centuries in Africa. And then yes. all of a sudden you make hair products with it again. So some of the, exactly. the stuff that we originally used works. Yeah, right? exactly. I, I kind of stick to that kind of stuff because I, I just, it doesn't give me any reactions. My skin doesn't break out yeah. uh, out of it. I don't get irritation and all this stuff. So I kind of, kind of stick with that. If it works, yeah. don't break, don't fix exactly. it. Okay. I have a little bit of a speed round for you. Sure. Just easy mascara five questions. What's the one makeup item you would love to add to your collection, but haven't been able to get your hands on? Yeah. Like I said, any of these, um, uh, female impersonators, uh, of, of those periods that any of their products, I would, I would totally want to have what what years were were they? What, was that Julian? Uh, and late seventeen hundreds. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, good seven, luck to 17, you. Yes. 1800s, 1800s. Everybody, go check your great great grandmother's attic yeah, for Gabriella. If you if you if you have any of these, I mean, that would be something. I I haven't even seen these in museums, so I have no yeah. idea if there are any even left of this kind of stuff. But but it would be a fine. Know. To, 
to find any of that it would be a fine. So anything older, sure. older than uh, 1800s and older would be awesome to see and to test any of these things would be just amazing because I don't have things, that many things that are that old. So it would be right. really interesting right. to see textures and this of, of that era. Now, what's the modern beauty trend you would never personally try besides fancy skincare with many steps? Is there anything you see people doing now and you're just like, why? I'm not a fan of, of the of the glitter things, you know. Is that a pretty modern development, putting glitter on your face? It, it is for um, regular consumers. I mean, it was a thing. It, I, I'm not going to say it wasn't because it was a thing in the 20s, like especially people that went to like fancy parties and, and did dress up. Oh. Uh, they did some crazy, crazy makeup stuff at those parties because they were all artists and people in the, what you call the, the literary kind of sense, so all these really conceptual people. So they would just, you know, paint, like cut all their hair off and then paint their head magenta or something and yeah. and paint yeah. wear weird masks and 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 put glitter all over so they they would they would do all these things but as far as a consumer thing i don't i don't i'd never seen things like that on the consumer well, until side. now until now you know yeah, yeah. and in in yeah. the 80s i mean we used to do a lot of glitter back then too i mean it, it it was around now it's just more prevalent but the fact that they you know now they take highlighters and like put highlight on their nose and on their cheeks and under this and that and kind of have an ethereal kind of elf like type mm-hmm. look to it i mean i guess it looks nice when you're in very young but you know, at my age, I don't think I could. I could pull it okay, off. Okay, the glitter, the glitter period is over for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. So. At my age, I don't think so. But okay. Okay, no glitter for Gabriella. No. Okay, when you are doing your own makeup, getting ready, what music do you like to listen to? I like all kinds of music. I I like dance music and pop music, and but I also like uh, jazz. And I like kind of oldies too. I like, you know, like 1920s type jigs and songs, you know, like little fun songs. Big band era. Yeah, Yeah. I I like all of that. I mean, it just really depends on the mood, but I like all kinds of music. I, I I love all kinds. Okay, so who is your favorite beauty icon of all time? You you know you know all of the icons. Well, I would say Audrey Hepburn for sure is is mm-hmm. one of my mm-hmm. favorites. Marilyn Monroe as well because she really had a handle on her look. She really created her persona. She she had a hand in creating yeah. her persona, and she was able to do it very well, even on her own. You know, she was able to do her own makeup. The control over her image. I, I yeah. mean, to the point where she spent hours doing the makeup and she really knew what she was looking for more than people realize because her makeup looks, looks very plain and easy. And so people kind of dismiss it as being very minimalist when in fact it was not necessarily that it was just very skillfully done to look that way. And she did it mostly herself? She did have a makeup artist, but she also applied yeah. her makeup for a lot of her functions without her makeup artist, yeah. and she did it just as well as, as he did. Well, she's a classic icon. Yes. Okay, last question. If you could go back in time, which historical era would you visit 
and where would you go? I would probably visit the 1930s because... I, now, are you, is there a club you're going to, a city? Where do you want to go in the 1930s? New York in the <sighs> 1930s because that place was happening and there was a lot of kind of newfound femininity and fashion and makeup was just becoming into its own as something acceptable for women to wear. So you had more brands and more products being made. And the silhouette was very soft and feminine, where if you go into 40s, you get into war periods and things begin to get a little dicey as far as like, you know, shortages of this, shortages of that, you know, the clothes become more structured and more more masculine and all this. So so the mm-hmm. 30s is a, a very soft, feminine, flowing, beautiful period, I think, of of fashion in general and 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 grooming as far as a woman goes, that I I have a fond fondness for. That you yeah. identify yes, with. Yes, yes. Yeah. And the fifties is a little bit overdone for me. Anyway, in 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 a, in the sense, so I wouldn't go there because it was it was at, yeah. at, at that point it becomes doll like kind of beauty, you know? Yeah, plastic, plasticky doll like, you know, artificially perfect kind of thing, where the '30s still had the softness to it. So, so I would say that's probably my favorite period to go visit. That's your era. Okay, well, we'll get you a time machine and and let I you do wish that. I else. Could- you could get you could go to Egypt you could do all of this you'd get all of the things you want for your collection so I wish that for you it'd be amazing that would be amazing then I would have first-hand knowledge I would be able to say exactly this is what was going on (laughs) I would love to see what you would do with it because I love your line Besame is amazing and your book is great so thank you for spending this time with us at Fat Mascara oh well thank you for having me this has been a blast I I really enjoyed it and uh, anytime you want to talk about history call me up I will. We hope you enjoyed the show. It's your reviews and feedback that help us make the podcast even better. Head over to iTunes to rate and review us or email your thoughts to info at fatmascara.com. We also want to answer your beauty questions and hear what products you love. To share a Razor One product review or to ask a beauty question, email us at info at fatmascara. If you send it as a voice memo file, we can even share your voice on the podcast. You can also do that by leaving us a voice message. Our phone number in the United States is 646-481-8182. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.